Hey everybody, welcome to episode 38 of the Hell of Bass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. This week, we hang out with Pat Schlopper, 2020 Bass Nation champion, uh, on his recent success at Pickwick, where we fished against each other. We break down the practice, the actual tournament, and his plans for the Bassmaster Classic and Elite Series in 2021. It's a great interview. We get a deep dive into jig tips, rods, reels for jerk baits, swim baits, and a whole lot of things. Uh, a lot of good juice in this episode. Uh, make sure you take a listen, uh, and as always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Here we are. We're live tonight uh, with the... Bass Nation 2020 champ Pat Schlapper. How's that sound, Pat? I've I've been liking the sound of it so far. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, did you did you know like the were you a fishing fan uh, long enough to know like the Brian Kirchel story and that? Oh whole yeah, thing? I remember having the. I probably still have the Red Shed culprit little worm kit they sold after it at my parents. Nice. It had four inch, six inch, seven and a half, and ten inch Red Shed culprits in it. That's what he used. So. Oh yeah, I know that story real well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, how how long? I guess uh, I know you've like been. Uh, I mean, I, we don't really know each other, but I've seen your name a ton in team circuits, and you've you've done very well fishing a bunch of stuff and in, in, in uh, all over Wisconsin for the most part. Um, how long have you been doing the Bass Nation, or how did you get into the Bass Nation? From the- I've been doing the Nation. Our club started. Well, it's been probably ten years ago now. Um, I've only ever been, I've been on three state teams. I've been to three regionals. So I, I was on Gunnersville, Ozarks, and then the one up on Vermilion. And this is the first national one I've ever done. So, um, been, been in it a while. Sure. And stuff. Kind of hitting your stride in the last few years with the. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, been a good last five to 10 years. Nice. Um, was the Gunnersville one, the one that was like two years ago or the one that was like six or seven years ago? That was ago? probably six years ago, five, six years ago. The first year yeah. they went to the mega kind of central regional. Yeah. This, so that, that, yeah, that was when there was like, I mean, there was, I think 190 boats. So 19 States in it. And same with, uh, Ozarks had that a lot bigger field too. I went to the one Gunnersville a couple of years ago. Um, cool. Hey guys, what's up, everybody? Let us know how the sound in the video is uh, as we're getting going. Got a congratulations for Pat from Tin Horse Monty there. Um, I'm guessing this doodle soccer comments and inside joke. <laughs> Old Chipper Logan wants to know uh, what what is the name of your bass club? Chippewa Valley Bass Attack. You're from the Eau Claire area, right? Yeah, yeah, Eau Claire. So, I mean, that's, you know, Eau Claire, Chippewa Falls, that kind of areas, Chippewa Valley. That's where the bulk of our people are from, Rice Lake. And we've got one of the bigger clubs in the state. I think we have 
26 or 20, 26 to 30 boaters, but then we have non-boaters too. So we've got a pretty good sized club and we've got, you know, in my opinion, you know, one of the more competitive clubs in the state. We got some, a lot of good guys in our club. Sure. And it's funny because I went to school at Stout and I don't think of the, the Eau Claire Menominee central Wisconsin as like a bastion of bass fishing. Like, I mean, it's got some decent fisheries, but I mean, it's definitely not a hotbed. I wouldn't consider no, you go, but you go north of Eau Claire, anywhere from a half hour to an hour and a half. Then you get up into the lakes where a lot of the tournaments are held, you know, the right. better money tournaments in the area. And a lot of the better fishermen are from up there. So, but yeah, Eau Claire and Menominee itself, there's not like a lot of destination lakes. You're going to go fish. Yeah. I mean, uh, you go Tainer and, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, which uh, we fished one club tournament there a long time ago, <laughs> but like the year before or the year after the, the E fifties were there. Yeah. <clears throat> so nice. So I guess it's, I think a lot of people that know you uh, from our area know that you kind of, you kind of gave up your day job to, to chase making the classic, making the elites to the Eastern opens this year. Right. Yeah. Uh, what job did you give up and what, what is that, what did that path look like at the beginning of this year? I mean, I, I worked at Shields all sports in Eau Claire since 2004, but, you know, I started part-time in 2004 when I graduated college in 2006, I've got a teaching degree, but back then, you know, it wasn't exactly easy to get a teaching job. Teaching jobs were highly desirable. You'd put in a resume and you'd, you know, there'd be 200 other applicants and, I did that for about a year and a half. I subbed and tried to get a teaching job and Shields offered me a full-time job as a fishing manager, which was awesome. And I've done that ever since and just kind of got to the point where I was at a crossroads in my life. A few events happened that made me kind of rethink, you know, the path I was on and what was important in my life. And about a year and a half ago, I made the decision to to do it. And I started kind of figuring out what I needed to do to, be smart about it and that led me to this spring and and it's been awesome i mean it's been the best year of my life the happiest i've ever been i just have it's so great when you get that weight off your shoulders and you're just concentrating on fishing and you know it's it's been good and it's been working out i mean i've been doing good in the opens too and had a chance of making it there i still might make it there but um yeah I love it. It was a great decision so far. Yeah. I mean, in theory, if you could win Lay Lake, you, you should get a nice like steak package from Keith Combs, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> um, so you set out and you've got the, uh, this is answer this one question. Chowder asks, what's your favorite bait to use when you need a fifth fish? Depends on the time of year, I guess. Um, I'm a big jig guy. It's hard for me to put a jig down. Uh, now, like in this tournament, I if, if it was this tournament we're talking about, I'd say a jerk bait. That's jerk bait, you know. But overall, it would be some sort of jig, quarter ounce finesse jig, probably. Yeah, I would say up here a jig worm or something like that. Oh yeah, or net rig, something like that. Uh, down there, I probably would have sort of kept a spinner bait in my hand because that's what I yeah, got fish on. Spinner bait was good too, but I I really started liking that jerk bait down there. Yeah, so Rigo, we will uh, we'll get into the, the the details of how we caught him on Pickwick here in a little bit. We'll just uh, talk a little more general first. 
So <clears throat> you've been doing great in the opens. Uh, coming into this, uh, you know, to this last open, you were third in the points, which we, you know, for all practical purposes, second because Patrick Walters is already an elite. Uh, so it should roll down. So you're sitting pretty good, but as, 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 as everybody has seen, whether it's the opens or the elites, fall fishing can be mighty cruel. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to, to slip up, uh, even day to day in the same tournament. Um, and actually, I, I actually, uh, watched your kind of your, your, your 23 minute, uh, recap. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And, it's a long uh, recap. I thought that was a good breakdown, and I think it really kind of captures the what the essence of southern southern fall fishing, uh, and and a lot of that what you talked about, you know, kind of some of that stuff day to day manifested on Pickwick. I think for a lot of us too. I mean, a little different, but uh, so you're sitting good. Uh, I think talk us like maybe just like. Did you pre-practice Pickwick? How much time did you spend uh, in your pre-practice? And then let's talk about how you attacked Pickwick. Um, so I went down there for – I had the uh, the open on Cherokee in the end of October. Uh-huh. I don't remember the exact dates, but I went down there five days before that. So it would have been early October, mid-October I went to Pickwick. And I had a couple buddies that had fished down there quite a bit in the spring. And so, you know, they, they kind of told me, you know, throw a swim bait, typical stuff. And I spent a couple days kind of looking around kind of what they were talking about. And, and, uh, didn't, I honestly didn't figure much out those first, those five days I was down. I caught some fish, but, and I caught some big fish. I caught some big largemouth. But it was like, I mean, the most I caught in a day was like four and it was just, it was just brutal. But I, what I mainly did was I idled around and I marked areas that spots that I thought would potentially be good if the smallmouth were to migrate like they do on like the Mississippi river or a lot of other river systems that I fit. I just marked a lot of different, you know, topside points gravel bars, current breaks, stuff like that, where I would go check in those two and a, two and a half days or whatever we had a practice. Um, and really what I figured out where I caught them in the tournament was what stuff I had found in those two and a half days. It was, I didn't catch them really on anything that I found one spot. I did catch two the second day on one spot that I had found in that pre-practice, but for the most part, it was stuff that I had found in those two and a half days. So, sure. so for those who don't know, excuse me, the official, like the, the official unofficial practice, right? So we get two long days, sun up to sundown, Saturday to Sunday, and then an eight hour kind of practice tournament day. How did you kind of divvy up the water or your approach for those kind of three days um, in the official practice? Like, did you, did you section it up like a certain sample different parts or were you really focused on that upstream part or how did you kind of, attack that or what was your plan going into the official practice if the first day i went and i tried to run all that stuff that i had marked that i thought was going to be good uh-huh. and none of it turned out to be good i mean we caught a few fish on it um but it really wasn't what i was hoping other than like i was telling you before we went on air here the one spot that i had found that ended up being really 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 good was the very first spot we went to when we went 
to practice. And Matt Burns, the you know the guy from Wisconsin, who was the co-angler champ, he was with me. And this was the first stop. First four minutes we're fishing, he catches a big one. You know, casting out the deep side of the boat, and uh, that ended up being my money spot. I mean, I caught a lot of fish off of it each day, nice ones, um, and. I think that might have been the only keeper he caught in all those three days. But without him, I probably wouldn't have found that spot or found that particular cast anyways. Right. Um, so that's what we did the first day. We ran around and fished a lot of stuff that I had marked. Second day, I kind of experimented a little bit. I went into the grass a little bit, not very long, because I just didn't want to get pulled into that. I just didn't feel like I had enough time to – and I love fishing grass. And – I just didn't feel like I had enough time to get in there and break grass takes some time to break down, you know, unless you know a specific area. So I did that a little bit. And then I just started that last half a day because I've mainly been concentrating on current, heavy current, just all that. I'm like, I'm just going to go and not do that. I'm going to go fish how I would fish largemouth on the Mississippi river this time of year, going to some dead end pockets, going to some marinas, places right. without current places. They're going to be migrating out of towards the main river. And the first one I go into, I catch like a five and a half pound largemouth on top water. And we only had till what, well, I don't know what time it was noon or something, you know, or what, I don't know. It was not a full day. And I ended up finding that area. And then we were running down to this other creek and you know, there's all those big like uh, barge tie offs along the power, power plant there. Randomly we're driving by one and we seen some minnows kind of flicker went over there. And that's where I, I caught one really nice spotted bass, which in the tournament, I ended up catching two big largemouth off of it. And then right at the very end of that last day, I found one little spot close to takeoff where I caught two keepers in literally the last five minutes of practice. And that's where I ended up catching them the second day. Um, all but two of the fish I weighed came from there. So that was kind of it. I mean, I I didn't spend hardly any time largemouth fishing. And I ended up weighing several largemouth, you know, throughout the, the first two days anyways. Um, just two and a half days is not a lot of time on a body of water like that. No, but that's that's your new reality. <laughs> I, know, I know it is. And I, I mean, I can do it. I've done it in other places too, but. Um, it's just, you can't, was, I guess I kind of learned, the, I mean, it ended up paying off for me fishing right. that current, but all I could think about that second day was just like, man, why didn't you spend a full day fishing largemouth? Like, you know how to fish largemouth in a river. Sit? Why didn't you do that? I was just so caught up in the, got to find them smallmouth in the current, got to find them which it ended up working out, but it was not like I went and, and, you know, beat them up for three days. I mean, I didn't, you know, I caught seven the first day and eight the second day keepers. I caught 30 on the last day on one spot. I mean, yeah, I'm glad I stuck with smallmouth, obviously, but you're into that end of that second day and you kind of see the weights and what's happening and the trends. You're like, gosh, dang it. I probably shot myself in the foot, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I'll just give you a little insight of what, to what I did <clears throat> and make you feel better about your decision. Uh, <laughs> so I, I did not go down to pre-practice. I totaled the idea. I just decided not to do it. Um, 
I did. I had pre-practice last time I made nationals on the Watchtower River, and it was kind of mixed feelings on how well that really worked out for me. You know, I got beat by a lot of guys that just came down and did the official practice days. So, but I basically I looked at it. I I took two sections of the river. I took that one section down from like Waterloo to like the the Coger Island right by the Natchez on the first day, and the second day I came up and fished like seven mile in the tail race, and then I was gonna whatever those days you know, produce better for me than that would be my official day. I would go back and try to expand. Mm-hmm. Upon that. Uh, and so I did, you know, a fair amount of video watching, a fair amount of avionics and Lake master study. Um, I it was kind of intrigued by the current and the smallies because I have fished, you know, the BFLs and the Mississippi river a little bit. So that kind of sounded good to me. And also fishing grass for large miles sounded really good to me as well, being a, a Northern guy. So the first day I went down South, and uh, I, I literally, the first spot that I picked out was this like main river bar that had channels on both sides of it. And, and I drove over it and there was hydrilla on it, but it wasn't topped out. Like, I don't know if you know that a lot of the grass was topped out. It was really yeah. easy to find, but this one was actually submerged and clumpy. And I drove over it and then I saw a pocket. And it, that was like the first day when there's still a foot more water down there. And there was some grass and there was some shad up there and a few busting. And I, and I tried to fish that. I never got any. So I swung back around and grasped that. And I found a couple like points and fingers and turns. And I fished it for about 15 minutes and lost one and caught two nice keepers. On my very first like area. Yeah. Out. And I was like, hmm, all right. That ended up being the place where I caught most of my weight on day one and shared with Justin Kerr was, like you said, the very first spot that I pulled yeah. up. I was yeah. like, the very best spot that I found. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to duplicate that, and I could find a lot of bars that had that stuff, but they didn't have the hydrilla for whatever reason. It was just the way that the, the river turned, and there was current, but not enough. I don't know. Just uh, and then I, in the afternoon, I found some good fish up by that that coger, and uh, I just felt like that was a place that I could pull in and probably upgrade. And just kind of like you said, grass takes time to pick it apart, but it's not. It was something I could learn through the tournament. Right? In the tournament, yeah, that was my my thought. I thought I could. I could find some spots like I found in the morning, catch a few fish and then go in there in the afternoon and either grind out the rest of my limit or get those upgrades. Uh, second day I went up and fished. We ran into each other. You were, you were poor mouth and, and sandbagging as usual. Um, yeah, I caught, no, I didn't get, <laughs> oh man. Uh, he's got Matt texting me, making me feel good about myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I never, we never caught a keeper that day. Um, Actually, I wish I would have gassed up my boat because at about lunchtime, I would have just went down to Coger Island and fished more grass because that's how bad it was for me up there. Um, and then day three, I went back and kind of eliminated some water, kind of set brackets for how much I wanted to fish and, and expanded on a little bit. But uh, that was kind of my practice in a nutshell. Yeah, there was a lot of grass down there. You get below seven mile and that was there was a lot of grass. And there was a lot of people in the grass down there too fishing. Yeah, but I think that that largemouth guy got really tough on day two. Yeah, that was yeah, did unexpectedly like I just that that weather change really shut them off, and that I just I never recovered from that. But so getting into the tournament, you kind of started talking about it, but you went up to your smally stuff, and you popped a couple early. What were you throwing? Swim bait. Swim That's bait. what I caught every smallmouth that I caught. Well, I. This one right here, <laughs> like more of a paddle tail or more of a kayak? Yeah, just just well, get it. Hold on a second. That's the exact one right there. Just the rainbow shad. See it? 
Feel like a Kitec 3.8. Rainbow or? Shad 3.8 Kitec on a head that I make. That's the three quarter ounce. That was the the game day major major change the last day to get. I think four of the five that I caught that last day were on a three quarter ounce, and I had never thrown a three quarter ounce in practice so or in the tournament. If What's you that? Would have thrown a heavier one earlier, you would have caught more fish. I just think on that particular spot, it got down. You know, the current was so heavy. I did get – I caught them on a half there right away. I mean, I, and I caught a couple on a 3A sounds too, but I just think there was so many fish there that initially it didn't matter if it was a foot under the surface or on the bottom. But I, I think I caught the a 485 was the only one I weighed that was on the half ounce. All the other big ones were on the three-quarter. And I changed that earlier in the morning. I mean, I had a good, you know, whatever, a good bag when I switched. But once I switched the first two casts, you know, one was a 520 and the next one was a four-pounder. And then late in the day when I went back there, I caught the 491 and a 462 on it. So, but the other spot I was fishing, you wouldn't be able to throw in a three-quarter. It was way too snaggy. I mean, you were, sure. you touched the bottom and you were snagged with a half ounce. So. MG's Garage wants to know what's the biggest smallmouth you've caught. I think he's just talking in general. Uh, biggest I've caught six pounds, four ounces on Sturgeon Bay. Nice. That's like a minnow out there. That's not even good. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's still big out there. But, um, yeah, that's that's the biggest one I've ever caught. I've caught a lot of five-pounders, but there's a big difference between a five and a six. I can tell you that. You had a couple fives on, on the final day at Pickwick, right? Just one legit. One was 520. I mean, I had, you know. Okay. One that was right under it and two that were right under it, you know, 485 and a 491 on my scale. They were big, though. Bigger than anything else. Everything I weighed that last day was bigger than anything else I'd seen all week besides one giant largemouth that I caught in practice. Yeah, I had one largemouth that probably touched four pounds, just kind of a big, long, ugly-looking thing. Yep, yep. Couple three pounders here and there, yeah. Like big bites were a premium, so to get five big bites in a day is, yeah. I mean, you get a, a two and a, you're begging for a two and a half pound. You're begging for a keeper most of the other days. Or a two and a half pounder was really good, and a three pounder was a major blessing. So yeah, what happened to me was, yeah, crazy, crazy and uncommon. So day one, you roll up and you said you caught what like three. Three or four quick small. I caught, I caught four keeper small. Four, two were good ones. Two were close to three pounds. I caught in like my first maybe seven, eight casts. I mean, there it was quick. And my co-angler caught a couple small ones, and he lost a real big one. And then it was done. That was it. You know, and then and that was all on swim bait. That was all on swim bait. That's all I threw on that spot. You know, you couldn't. That current was so heavy couldn't really do anything else i think i tried a jerk bait there the last day but you you know you just couldn't do it and anything and you couldn't drag anything because as soon as it touched the bottom it was hung up you just you couldn't do it that's literally about all you could throw maybe like a square bill or something but no everything i caught every smallmouth i caught in that tournament was on that swim bait or a, not necessarily that color but just a four inch swim bait um and then I did get one the second day on a Carolina rig, small mullet and the cough. What depth were those fish sitting in? Anywhere from six to eight foot, you know, nothing super deep. 
Um, so was it like a rise or were there was a couple – like what were they key No, on? honestly, that first spot, I still don't know. I mean, there was a little point I was fishing, but out in the middle there, there was a few bigger rocks, but it wasn't like there was a a point or an eddy or anything they were behind. I don't know. I mean, there was something out there, obviously, but there, there's nothing distinct. I mean, you know, up there, you I, everything's rock. Yeah. So it, it was it was rock, but it wasn't like there was a lip or a ledge. They just were sitting in one particular spot on it, and I just happened to, you know, get and lucky that that changes day to day, hour to hour, depending on the current. I think right where. Yeah, they, I think it does because. You know, like the last day I pulled up there, and I didn't know because I had beat on it the first two days. I pulled up there, and they were busting everywhere. Like, they were jumping out of the water. And and a lot of the stuff you see out there doing that is not bass. It's those, I don't know, what tulipy things or whatever, skipjacks they call them. Now, a lot of them are them, but these, I could see them. Like, those are smallmouth. Like, they're coming out of the water. They're coming out of the water. And so I thought, this is going to be really good. And I caught Actually, one of them I caught there the third day was a nice spotted bass, um, but I caught two nice smallies and a spotted bass and then a couple little ones. And then, like, all the life was gone. There was just nothing there. No no bait, no none of those skipjack things. And then they, then I don't know where they went. I could never find them. I fished up. I fished down. I fished out further, and I never could relocate them. It was weird. So, and then that other spot where I caught all them big ones, I think that was just a, it wasn't rock because I didn't get, I never got hung up ever. So I think it was just a little gravel point with just enough of a seam that, you know, they got them out of the, that heavy current enough where they could stay positioned, but it was close enough to that current where they could still feed, you know, feed easily. Yeah. So what, what was your setup? Like line, rod, et cetera. I was throwing that swim bait on a seven six medium heavy moderate fast, which in my opinion was key. Um, Saint Croix Legend X or Legend Extreme, and I was throwing Daiwa Tatula SV seven three gear ratio, and then I was throwing twenty pound Sunline Shooter Floral. Pretty heavy then. Like- you, you didn't need you, you. I mean, dude, them things, them big ones. It was all I could do to. Yeah, <laughs> they were so strong. Thinking about the uh, the current on your line, the drag, and how much that, more not so much the, the, the like. I don't think the fish care. It's more about yeah, how- yeah. Getting it to you know that's the key is getting it to swing right. But once I figured out where to land that bait to get it to go into that zone right, it didn't matter. I mean, that the the diameter of the line didn't make a huge difference in my opinion. I mean, you know, you couldn't cast it and. I mean, you had to know how to fish current. It's basically, you had to know how to cast and position the boat and know where your target was, you know, because when you made that cast, you weren't casting. Not like you're, you know, flipping to a tree where you're flipping to where your bait's going to go. You had to cast well ahead of where you wanted your bait to be, you know, when it was in the, in the zone where they were going to eat it. So yeah. you guys can see, I know how to do that because I had the drum dialed in. in my yeah. Yeah, so the drum. Like, I have great examples of how to do that on drum in my practice. Yeah. So yeah, um, they were easy to catch. <laughs> uh, Logan says, "How do you qualify for the regional?" So maybe you can talk about what it takes to get to the regional in Wisconsin, and I'll cover what the Minnesota section's like. So in Wisconsin, you basically, you know, you have a state tournament, and how they do it in Wisconsin is 
on a typical year, um, you have to be in the top nine in that state tournament to make the state team. And then the 10th person, the tenth, because they take 10 per state, 10 voters and 10 non-voters. And the 10th person is usually what we call, I think it's called the Mr. Wisconsin Bass Classic, but it's always, I call it the Mr. Bass. Where yeah. traditionally the Mr. Bass tournament, how it used to be when it was a true Mr. Bass tournament, is it would take the top angler from each club in the state the previous year and say there was 20 clubs, it would take the 20 top guys and they would fish a tournament and whoever won that tournament would get the 10th spot. That's how I qualified the first year I ever did. I won that tournament. But now uh-huh. it's changed where I I mean, this just seems like anybody can fish that tournament now. It's not how it used to be where it was just the top guy. Now all of a sudden there could be 30, 40, 50 bowls. Yeah. But, you know, some of those people might not ever weigh to fish. It's not a true Mr. Bass anymore. So I don't know. I don't know what to call it. What if Shaver let this – come on, Shaver. I know. Shaver's out. He's losing it. He's, <laughs> he's too busy smoking ribs and pastrami. Yeah, it's, uh, just uh, making venison pastrami. Yeah. Uh, what's your biggest largemouth ever asked here? Uh, in Wisconsin, it's seven pounds. In Texas, it's twelve pounds. Nice. Yeah, my Minnesota is seven point two five, and my my Texas is only an eight three. Um, let's see here. Charles says, "What kind of retrieve were you using? Straight cranking or mixing it up somehow?" I was just trying to keep it as close to the bottom as I could without snagging it. It's basically what I was doing. You know, a straight retrieve, but you'd basically like slow rolling it, right? You slow kind of- rolling it, but it was it was tricky because like as soon as you felt like you were gonna hit the bottom, you had to speed it up. Because if you touch the bottom, it was ninety nine percent of the time was over. Is you you either break off or you try to go out there and get it, but in that current you most time you can't get it anyways because you're fighting the current and then you mess the spot up. So the main just motor this, up there. <laughs> yeah, try yeah, I was just my buddy Dave, who he he's fished down there, he told me he's fished down there a lot. He's like, bring a lot of jig heads because you're gonna lose a lot of them. And so I poured up a ton of them and I did lose a lot. I probably lost, I don't know how many I lost, but it was a lot in the days of practice in the tournament. Sean says, I look super tired. And I say, if you've been beat down by Pat all year long, you get tired too. <laughs> I only beat you down twice. So I, I should feel fortunate compared to the guys that fished the team stuff in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh says, how long do you guys fish a spot uh, to know if there's fish there? And do you come back to it later in the day? Uh, for me, like down there, I didn't fish spots super long. It seemed like to me, if I was going to catch them off of a spot, I'd catch them right away. Um, uh-huh. Both largemouth and smallmouth, honestly. Um, and I would go back and fish the spots, but I never caught them when I went back and fished them again. I'd catch them the next day, but I could never catch them on on them um, spots besides that last day when I went back in the last hour and caught those two big ones. But generally down there, it was at least what I had figured out. It was, if you pulled up and there were, and they were there and they were going to eat, I would, I would catch them within the first 10 minutes anyways. Sure. 
We are creeping up on Cade Laufenberg live numbers. So if we can get a few more likes and a few more people watching, Pat can overtake Cade's numbers on the live stream. So is there a prize or something for that? I think you've won enough prizes already, Pat. Let's no, start. I like prizes. Um, you can have bragging rights. So you can tell Cade if you get okay. there. Okay. Uh, um, Chip says, sounds like tubes and vermilion snagged every cast. Depends on where you were, but yeah. uh, stupid tubes were pretty good at coming through that. Um, Vermillion was very snaggy. Pretty snaggy. <laughs> Can you imagine if it had current like pickwick? Oh boy, yeah, impossible then. Yep. He says, "Do you feel you have to fish straight floral? Can you still win if you use braid to floral?" I think you can do either. It kind of depends on um, what you're doing. Like on a swim bait, like he was throwing, it would have been very difficult because if you like, you wouldn't be able to. I don't know. You, you get a chance on straight floor to be able to pop it free, but if you were braid to floor, you'd lose even more swimming heads. But for a lot of things, braid to floor is really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I use the braid to floor a lot, but I like when I get into current like that with them big fish, you know, like I'm really specific on, you know, rod, reel, line, and all that stuff. And I just feel like you want to have, when they take that run, you want to have a little, you want to have some stretch. You know, like that big one that I, that biggest one that I caught, I mean, that thing took off down the river. I mean, if you didn't have some sort of give, uh, man, you're going to rip the hook out or something's going to happen. And that's why I use a moderate fast rod too. something with a real parabolic bend um, with swim baits. I use it a lot flipping too with braid. Um, I think that's often overlooked by a lot of people that just don't have a lot of experience. You know, you're, they're used to buying a, medium heavy fast or extra fast which is good for a lot of things but you know if you start talking flipping with braid or in my opinion throwing swim baits like that um alabama rigs that moderate fast is is it's crazy the difference you'll see in you know landing fish and how deep those fish will take the bait with yeah. that little bit extra flex for sure um Chowder wants to know what's the mold you use for that jig head. That that head's just a it's a poison tail, but I modified it. I put a screw lock in there, and then I bend my own hooks. Um, depending upon this particular head that I poured is not something I usually throw around here that much. It's got a lot heavier hook on it. That's another thing my buddy Dave told me. He said don't. I use a Gamagatsu six hundred four a lot on a lot of the jig swim bait heads that i make it's like a medium wire but it's super super sharp it's perfect for around here for fishing lakes even on the mississippi river i've caught a lot of giants on it but dave told me he's like you have to use a heavy hook because they will straighten the hook out and so i put a flipping hook on there it's a gamagatsu 294 um and it's usually a 60 degree bend but i have to heat it up and bend it to a 30 degree um and then put it in that poison tail with the screw lock nice uh josh yeah i would i, I think altrex was big down there <laughs> i think for just about anybody that was it was big for me on some of my spots i'm sure it was important for you um yeah that's all that's a big factor anywhere you want to stay on a spot i'm gonna guess the pink rat wasn't a big player <laughs> uh, you're not supposed to say anything jamie um <clears throat> So yeah, I guess I mean a little bit about my first day. Uh, I I I won't rolled into my first spot, and uh, I threw a top water for a little bit. But as soon as I picked up a little spinner bait, 
hear this little half ounce war eagle screaming eagle with the small blades compact i felt like that seemed to be a deal for the spinnerbait fish is having for sure 100 percent shad like that just that little yeah. uh and uh you know kind of what you're talking about i'm throwing this on a dobbin 703 which is a pretty moderate action rod and i never lost it. i mean that's the one thing i could say i never lost a fish that i hooked I and mean, they had some that banged the blades or you feel them next mm-hmm. but, you know but like when i hooked them i had them um and as soon as i picked that first cast of spinnerbait i caught a three pounder and then i uh, started working my way down further and kind of up to where justin and i were bumping into each other and uh talon down uh when i got a bite i got like a two nine and my co caught one and then i caught a short and then i caught another you know like it like there was a couple windows and a couple sweet spots on that bar that i was telling you about and uh I had my limit by nine fifteen, and i had probably 14 pounds by nine fifteen. and i was like that's good i like i'm like and <laughs> I, had, I went to the spot you know uh by uh Koger where i thought i could really upgrade <clears throat> i hung around there for a little bit just kind of trying to like because i probably would have left earlier but justin had just come back and i was like well i'm not I feel like we yeah. need to boundaries here and establish roles for tomorrow. So I kind of fished next to him and he caught a few and I caught a few and my co caught some more. And I left there. I had <clears throat> upgraded one time and it was, it was kind of like one that made me mad. Cause I like, it was like a half ounce call, like, <laughs> I, was like oh, man, I really prefer to have that one bite tomorrow. Um, and then I ended up getting rid of that one anyways, but yeah, I rolled up to Koger and maybe at, I tried a bunch of like top water and stuff. And then literally like, again, the first time I picked up that spinner, but I rolled it down a grass edge and I caught a three and a half and that put me up at that low 15 and uh, tried to grind out a couple more bites there. Caught a short, <clears throat> my code dumped one on a frog and we kind of started hopping our way back up and he got his fifth keeper. And yeah, it was, it was a pretty good day. I like, couldn't have scripted it. And I thought, man, I mean, there was, I guess we did catch 20 fish at least off that spot between the two boats, but yeah, left by 10 something and they were still biting. So I thought day two was going to be, you know, I, I figured it would be tougher, but I didn't think catching five would be that big a deal. <clears throat> but, uh, when yeah, I thought that's, that compact spinnerbait thing is a big deal down there. That's what I was catching them on in practice too. I actually, I bought like $250 worth of them before that tournament because I didn't have a lot of compact ones and I was throwing the, uh, that little eco pro. I don't know if you've ever thrown that thing, but, that's a really good little compact spinner bait. And uh, I don't even, I think I threw it a little bit in the tournament, but I didn't throw it very much because I got on the other stuff. But that that small blades, that's dead on, in my opinion, down there. Yeah, that one and the spot sticker mini me <clears throat> were the two that I probably threw the most in practice. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I was boat 24, so right in the middle. And uh, when we weighed in, we were the first boat to both have limits. Mm. And like John made a big deal out of like, cause he had like 12 and a half pounds and I had like 15, three or something like that. So we probably won. Who'd you fish with the first day? Uh, it was a guy from Rhode Island. Uh, so it wasn't the guy, it wasn't the guy who won the co-angler thing. No. Okay. He ended up zeroing the second day. Um, but he still ended up finishing like sixth <laughs> just on his day one catch. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a good day. Um, <clears throat> Brayton would like to comment on your studliness. <laughs> he's got my, he's, he's the one who took over my, my old job. Nice. Yep. Um, all right. So day two, we, we chatted afterwards and you're like, Oh, I don't know. 
I'd be lucky if I caught him again, is what you told me after day one. I was. So how did how did day two unfold? So day two, I went and started on that spot where I caught four the first day, and I caught two. And I mean, you know, I don't, I hate to even bring this up, but you know, and most people probably watching know, you know, in this format, you you got a co angler in the boat, and. The first day, the guy I had, the kid's name was Taz, from California, really good fisherman, and probably the most respectful co-angler I've ever had. The way that I was fishing, I had to make a specific cast, and I needed it to be uninterrupted the whole swing of that bait. And he didn't cast anywhere. He he did his own thing. Second day, I wasn't as lucky. And, and if he's watching, I'm you know he was a nice guy, but he was really aggressive in casting over my shoulder, over my line, right in front of my bait. And it started right off the bat and that kind of messed with me, you know, and I caught two and kind of got me going a little bit, but it took me the next few hours. I was, it was tough to fish because I couldn't do what I needed to do. And, and I couldn't hardly say anything to him because, I mean, he's he made it there too. He zeroed the first day, which was even more frustrating because I was in it. And um, I think it was about after I caught those first two, I don't think I had another keeper until about 10. And then I stopped on a spot I found in pre-practice. And I didn't really figure on fishing it, but I was close to it. Um, and I caught a about a three pound spotted bass. It was a good one. And then I caught my fourth keeper, just like a 15 and a half inch smallie. And at that point I went back up towards, this was down towards Kroger where you're kind of talking. Um, I went back up towards the dam and fished smallmouth again. And I, I just, I was trying to make it work and it wasn't going to work. So then the last 10 minutes of, pra of practice, I had found an area close to takeoff where I caught a couple of large ones. So I'm just going to go in there. So I went in there and I started beating on them pretty good. I mean, I caught a three and a half. My first, that was my fifth one. Then I caught a, another nice spotted bass that called out one small mouth. And then I just kind of explored that. It was a big area, but I just started exploring it. And I ended up catching two or three more good large mouth. That so in, in there, did you go like up the canal? Yeah, in the canal and the barge How many harbor. Fish you in anywhere except for. Well, either... there's a bunch of creeks too, but there was just one particular part of it where um, there was a bunch of bait. And once I figured out how to catch them, it was pretty predictable where I could go. Once I kind of figured out what they were relating to, it was pretty predictable that day. Now, you know, obviously I don't, the second day or the third day I did go in there a little bit and I caught some, but I didn't stick around there very long, but that's kind of what saved, saved my day was in there because I mean, I had, I think I ended up weighing, I don't know if I had two smallies. I think I might only had one. I know I only had one smallie that day and, and I don't want to make it sound like that guy was like mean or anything, but just, I wasn't used to that, you know, and, and, uh. It was just, it was hard to keep your mind right. And like, you make the right cast and then all of a sudden he casts over you. And then you're like, well, now I got to reel it up 
and try to get out there before his cast is done. So hopefully I can get a good cast in there. It was so that, I mean, I ended up scratching out and he kept telling, cause I didn't weigh any of my fish the first two days because it wasn't like I was catching very many. And he kept, I thought it had like 11 pounds. Like you got way more than that. I'm like, I don't know. So I just hope I can make the cut. Oh, you're going to, you're, you're, you got 14 pounds. I'm like, no. And I ended up having like 13, three quarters, um, which was you know really good that day. I moved up to second after that. I was only out of the lead by six ounces. So, um, so in that canal, was that like a jerkbait deal or are you still? I caught everything on a jerkbait in there. You know, yep. that's what I caught them on the first day too, um, down by the power plant. Um, so. Yeah, they were in there, and there was nobody there. Nobody in there. Yeah. So I never went in there in practice. I figured there was plenty of people that went in there in practice. There was a bunch in practice that when we were in there the last 10 minutes, I caught two, and there's people all around us. And I just kind of went in there that second day because I didn't have anywhere else to go that I knew there was largemouth. And, I mean, I didn't spend any other time in there besides those 10 minutes. That was just, that was just kind of right at the mouth of it. Not even up, you know, up way up where I caught them up by this. I don't know if you call it a spillway or the lock. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, that's what I would do on the Mississippi is go to a pocket like that and look for them. And what type of, what type of jerk bait, like a deep shallow, what, uh, regular one ten. This is the one I threw the old one ten. Yep. Where's my camera? Yeah, that one. That's the actual one. I changed the hooks on it about four times, but that's the one I threw when it was cloudy. That's Table Rock, and then uh, Tennessee Shad when it got when it got sunny. Yeah, that's the only jerk bait a man needs right there. <laughs> yeah, um, I think John's got or Sean's got a good perspective. This is this is a good perspective for a, a co angler. <laughs> yeah. um, I think somebody asked and you talked about this earlier I think you are planning right after lay you're planning to go over and practice pre-practice for the classic right yeah I'll go to lay and that, that tournament's the 3rd to the 5th um, of December hopefully I get to fish on the 5th and not just the 3rd and the 4th like every other one but um, either way I'll come back for about a week and then I'll go um, go down there, go to Ray Roberts for a week and practice, maybe longer if I want to stay longer. I don't know yet. And then come back and wait till the classic, I guess. Yeah. Um, what's the jerkbait rod set up? Oh, yeah. Jerkbait rod set up is a old school, one of my favorite reels, first generation Revo Premier. Six four gear ratio, six foot eight inch St. Croix Legend Tournament, medium power, extra fast. And the extra fast, I mean, it has a really soft tip, but enough backbone where you can still cast it. In my opinion, the perfect jerkbait rod. I got two or three of them. Um, 10 pound Sunline FC Sniper, not shooter, but sniper. That's my, that's, I throw, I've caught a few bass on that setup. Yeah. So while we get in, so my day two, like <laughs> I rolled down to that spot thinking like, this will be good. Obviously Justin beat me down there because uh, of the, the flip flop order. And, um, 
and I caught a non-keeper right away on a spinnerbait. And I was like, all right, this, this, this should happen. <clears throat> Fish there a bunch. Like we just beat it to death. I threw chatterbaits, I threw lipless, I threw jerkbaits, I threw spinnerbaits, I threw a Carolina rig. Fish the backside, fish the top side. Like we exhausted. And I, and I don't know if Justin caught many there or not where he started down for me. And I ended up catching one on a chatterbait that I thought measured. And I put it in the score tracker. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but then I run into my grass spot. The only thing I regret is maybe not like trying to Nico rig on a couple of like the sweet spots where there was a turn or something. Maybe I could have scrounged out a couple, but like I just, I went up to my Kroger Island spot and pretty quickly caught like a three, three on a spinnerbait. And I was like, well, all right, maybe if I can just get a couple bites here, right? Like that'll be good enough if they're good. Cause they, I've been catching like three pounders up there and, uh, but it just never happened. I caught one more on a spinnerbait and then I had, uh, <clears throat> We, we pulled into another spot at the end of the day, you know, where the power lines cut across there and like oh, yeah. the yeah. dredge spot there. <clears throat> and I pulled in there and like towards the end of the Monday or Tuesday or final practice, and I just drove in there and there was a bunch of bait. It looked good. The depth was right. Didn't really make a cast. I was like, this is probably worth just swinging in on the way back. <clears throat> and Matt Robertson was pitching the side coming out when I got there. So I pulled in spinner bait, spinner bait, and there was a little neck down and the way the wind was blowing on, uh, second day thursday and it was kind of fighting the current but my co threw over which was fine uh he wasn't like touching the front but he threw back up in there and he caught like a dink right small like short and i threw in there and threw my spinnerbait through this cut caught a short he throws in there and he catches a 16 incher i throw back <laughs> there and he catches a 14 and a half and i was just like <laughs> that was the one that i could just like at that time i was like that's the one i needed mm-hmm. uh but ran back up, tried to fish some bluff stuff. Didn't happen. <clears throat> Thought I had like three fish for seven pounds, which, <clears throat> you know, once I got in, I looked at bass track and started looking at the leaderboard. I was like, that might be enough. Like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which seven pounds would have meant enough to make the yeah. cut. But I fish about 30 times. I just couldn't make it go. Uh, uh, that's back. a tough call to make. And I, and I I'd honestly felt it was like a touch short. Like if I push the nose, it wouldn't touch. If you let it like relax with the mouth open just to touch, it would touch. But I was like, it's short. I would be trying to sneak it through. And I was like, yeah. that's how I want to do it. Right. So um, <clears throat> that's, that's where my tournament ended. And I finished two ounces out. Like, and I was to the point where I was in eighth place with three boats to go and they all had them. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were, you were biting you your fingernails. And I was like, <laughs> so, yeah that was a, that was a stinger and so then i was 11th i was like well at least i'll get 500 bucks but then the non-boater moved over and then the guy in 13th was the second guy in central they both fished day two they both caught a couple fish and pushed me down to 13th place so i missed a check too <laughs> Ooh, yeah that's always good but it was a good feeling to be in it after one day mm-hmm. uh, like the last time with the nationals, I just was never, I, I kind of, but I was never like in it, in it. And it just, um, uh, yeah. So Chad, the score tracker is optional. It's their bass track. You just text in an update and then I don't know if it automatically populates or somebody converts it. Uh, you just reply to a text. You say like two, two space, six pounds, and then it just goes in. So it's all volunteer. They strongly suggested they want, they begged people to do it. <clears throat> so uh sycamore says what is my spinner rod and setup and i covered this a little bit ago if you missed it but yeah i was throwing this war eagle screaming eagle every one of my keepers most of my fish in practice even my shorts were on this and it's the the screaming eagle which has like the uh kind of lead around the shank so it's a really small profile 
the small blades, half ounce. I was doing a slightly more translucent, not such a stark white <clears throat> in the tournament. A trailer hook was key. I definitely was catching a few fish on <laughs> about half my fish would be on the trailer hook and the other half would just like smoke the whole thing. Uh, I think it's like 16 or 17 pound fluoro, 703 Dobbins, um, a fairly moderate action. Every fish that I had on, I got in the boat. It was pretty good. I just needed a couple more bites. Um, Bob says, what are your thoughts on fishing the classic and who's your pick to win besides yourself? Matt? I don't, I mean, I don't know who's going to, what my, who my pick would be to win. I hope I win, but that's probably a long shot, but I don't even know who all's in it yet. The field's not even released yet. So I don't even know, but I mean, it's something I think any of us that tournament fish, think about and you know dream about i know i have since i was you know i don't know as long as i can remember since i started tournament fishing so it's and honestly i don't know if it's set in for me yet i mean since i've gotten back it's i've been on the phone every day all day with you know websites writers websites which is fun i love doing this this is fun doing this i mean i, I could do it every day but i haven't really had got to sit down and think like man i'm i'm fishing for about 300 grand or whatever it is and the biggest tournament in the world against the best fishermen in the world um it's in texas where i love to fish um so many people supporting me and telling me they're gonna go and messaging me and it's just it's a really hard feeling to describe. Um, it's, I mean, to think that it happened that way, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I'm just, I'm super thankful that of what happened and I'm really looking forward to getting down there and I want to do well in it. Obviously I'm going to work hard at it, but even if I don't, it's, I'm going to take in that experience and, remember it forever because i don't know if i'll get back there again you like to think you will but there's no easy route to get to that thing i don't care how good you are you can i mean you look at some of the people that aren't going to make it this year and it's it's pretty crazy to think that i'm one of the i don't know 50 people that get to fish it this year so yeah absolutely um yeah, I think it'll probably start to feel real when you go down there and pre-practice. I think that's when it'll start to sink in. I think it will too. And this this last open has kind of got me. You know, I got to worry about that first, and and just all really the other. About it. it's like, well, you know what I mean. I'm not going to pay that much money. Like, I want to go down there. <laughs> I'd like to win that one just to right. say, like, I you know, I won won this one. I want to win one of them opens. Them opens are stout i mean them are hard tournaments it's people that make it that way man that's you earn that because you got every local guy fishing it tons of elites big you know, 150 to 200 boat fields you look at some of the weight you know the lakes they fish this year the weights are low just tough grinder tournaments i mean it's it's not an easy route to do it that way so if you make it that way you earn that we talked this a little bit earlier, <clears throat> you know, whether you're running the nation's best or your skeeter. And I think that's up in the air. You don't really know the details yet. I don't really know what's going on with that. I mean, 
I talked to John Stewart, the tournament director, about it a fair amount, and he was going to do some research on it, see what the options are. I haven't heard from him yet, but um, I, you know, I've been Skeeter Boat Center, and he's been so they've been so good to me down there, and I love Skeeter Boats, and their incentive programs are better than anybody else's. So I'd have a hard time not sticking with Skeeter Yamaha. I just trust them. I, you know, I love their products, and I like the service that I get at the boat uh-huh. center where I get them. I just, you know. I'm hoping to do that, but I want to represent the nation too. So I'm hoping John, even if I don't do that, he'll let me put that on the wrap because I'm proud of that. Right. You know, some people supposedly in the bass fishing world, the elites, and this is just what I've heard is they don't necessarily think that us nation people are, you know, as good a fishermen because we got there doing it the grassroots way, but I'm proud of that. Yeah, yeah, they think it's like, you know, they don't, you know, I don't know if they necessarily don't think they should have that, but I mean, three people got to the classic through that route. So some of them guys, apparently, obviously I've never seen that because I've never been in this position before, but you know, if anybody ever, you know, if that comes up to me in conversation, Mm -hmm. um, I think by the end of the time they're done talking to me, they'll probably look at it a different way or, you know, I would think they would because, you know, and that's part of the reason why I want to make it in the opens too. Cause I want to say, yeah, I made it in the nation, but I made it in the opens too. So, you know, yeah. nation has very good anglers. I mean, I fish so a lot of them people, I recognize them from the other regionals and the team championship. I mean, those, you know, Josh Ray, Justin Kerr. I mean, there's Albert guys Collins. down there's guys. Yeah. Albert Collins. I mean, there's guys there that, I mean, Kerr's been doing it full time for 20 years. I mean, them guys are good. I don't care what they say. So hopefully I don't experience any of that, but um, I'm just proud to represent the nation. All my buddies, all these people I've met, everybody at that tournament was, you could go up and talk to anybody, sit with anybody, and they're just so cool and down to earth and happy to be there. Um, So I want to represent those people. I'm proud of it. So I want them people to know in, in the elites that that's where I came from. So yeah, hopefully I mean, we can work it out. Colinick came from the nation. Yeah. Paul Mueller. Uh, I mean, yeah. So yeah, Paul Mueller is the guy that won it when I went to nationals last time. Um, yeah, I think some of that stigma maybe went along with the split. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, maybe, but you still, I mean, it's, you know, one of my buddies who fishes, you know, he fishes FLW. He, that's the first thing he said to me. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You're telling me that was easy. What just happened? Like you realize how, I mean, you gotta, you gotta make it on the state team. Then you gotta beat your state team guys to go to nationals. Then you gotta fricking win nationals. You don't just get to show up and get a top 10. I mean, you gotta win it. So yeah, I don't buy any, any of that because. And when you, and when you misstep, the clock starts over for two years. Like, yeah. You don't, you can't have, you know, cause even in the opens, the opens are hard. And you can't slip up much, but you can slip up a little. In this deal, you can't slip up. I mean, you look at, say, I don't, I mean, Lonnie would be where I'm at. He got third in the friggin' tournament up on Vermilion, and he didn't get to go to that tournament because I got first. Yep. So he fit, you look at what he did, he gets third place out of 90 boats, and he can't go down there because I beat him. You know, it's just that, that's, 
it's not easy to do. You can you I'm, can even fish really well and not make it. I've been so, on the wrong end of that a couple times early in my divisional career, like going to Winnebago and stuff, where like finished like fifth, but I'm second on the Minnesota team. You know, like just yeah. like that's what the first year in Gunnersville that happened to me. I mean, I think I got fifteenth, but that was back when there was two hundred boats or whatever right. it was, and. One Teddy Heitschmidt beat me. He got like fifth in the tournament, came back the last day with a giant bag and got fifth. So it's just, man, it's the nation guys are tough. I don't care what anybody says. There's a lot of good fishermen in that, in that deal. Yeah. Austin, I did go fish Wilson while Pat was smashing 24 pounds on Pickwick. I did fish Wilson a little bit. So only 23 pounds. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I do have a video from Wilson that I'll put up in a little while from my uh, throwing an A rig around the tail race. Uh, Pat wants Pat Sandy wants to know: Are you going to move down south, or are you going to keep the Wisconsin life? You know, my wife and I have talked about it. We both kind of like the Tennessee area, but I doubt it. I, you know, I like Wisconsin, and I've told this to a lot of different people when I come back from these, like you know, the grinder tournaments in the fall down there i'm like man you guys don't realize how good the fishing is up here and i've had people down there tell me that before when i would go down there on vacation but it's like it's we live in a good area minnesota and wisconsin has some of the best fishing and the nicest country i mean i don't like winter that much but i mean this is a good area up here um i can't see myself leaving unless you know an opportunity comes up down there I like Wisconsin. I like hunting and doing stuff outside up here. So I, 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 I doubt it. And now you'll be bring winter storms now because you'll be fishing tournaments down south. So yeah, I know. Uh, let's see here. So Sycamore, yeah. So non-boaters are a different category, but they're the the, the, the championship non-boater does move over and fish the third day, and. Anybody on the non-boater side that has enough weight to make the top 10 moves over. So there is opportunity. And actually the very first year, which was like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago now, Ryan Levine from Louisiana caught him on Conroe at the championship well enough to move over. And then he won the whole tournament. And he's the one that went to the classic that year. So uh, yes and no. So everybody still has a chance. Um, Sean Lai, uh, thanks for tuning in. He's a, he's a faithful follower here. You did have a full-time job at Shields, but you gave that up to fish the Opens this year, right? Yep. I still work there part-time a little bit. Um, and now with all what's happened, um, I'm hoping to stay on a little bit next year. Um, I'm working with Shields right now to hopefully be my title sponsor. So I'll be working with them, hopefully, in other areas of the business. Um, areas of the business that I've you know, been working in for 16 years, just be at a little different level. Um, so yeah, I still want to keep that connection with Shields because it's, it's been a big part of my life and they've been so good to me and, um, I want to keep that connection and help, help the business, help their business. And hopefully they'll help me still. Yeah. And, you know, anything to have a few less Josh Douglas big heads out there, if we can get your face mixed in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I talked Josh a long time today and he said, he's glad that'll be around to hopefully help out a little bit. Yeah. Josh, Josh and I go way back. We used to be in the same club a long time ago. Awesome. So I guess the one thing 
and we haven't talked about this, and I think some people know this, but your whole goal of fishing the Opens was to make the elites. And now you birth from being the national champion, and you 100% are accepting that, right? I mean, that's oh, there's yeah. no doubt. Yep. Um, so on top of the classic, you, you know, the schedule's not out yet. Um, but you're, you're all in on the 2021 Bassmaster Elite Series and the Classic. So yep. when you set out to do the Opens, <clears throat> did you have like a two-year plan, a three-year plan? Like, well, I mean, obviously things have went great this year, but like what, how long were you willing to commit fishing the Opens to make the Elites? I mean, I didn't know. I wanted to see how the first year went, how I liked it, if I still had the drive to do it after the first year. Um it's still, still a lot of unknowns. I mean, honestly, I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough where, you know, I was pretty smart with my money and I saved up a pretty good amount of money where I felt fairly comfortable that I could, you know, do it for two, three, four years without having to worry financially. I mean, you never know what could come up, but um, I had in my mind figured I would give it for sure two years, possibly three, depending upon where I was financially um, and if I had the drive to do it and the desire to do it. So, you know, that was kind of my plan. Uh, now I, you know, don't have to worry about the next two years, I guess. Right. So then like if you would have went out and finished 178th in every tournament, you'd be like, this isn't as much fun as I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, you just don't know what's okay. going to happen and you might get out and, you know, I don't like being away from my wife a lot. You know, you know, there's just a lot of factors that you don't understand when you're used to working nine to five and coming home every night. And even when you fish the tournaments around here, there might be a few times where I'd be gone for four or five days at a time, but not long stretches for the most part. So you, there's just a lot of unknowns. And then you talk to people that have done it a long time and tell you, you know, all the bad things about it and how hard it is. It's, you know, you, it's, you just don't know until you go do it. Right. So that being said, you plan to chowder also, are you going to jackpot any Wisconsin tournaments? Or is everyone I can. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I'm going to fish everyone I can on Tech Chain, Big Tech, Red Cedar, Long, Mississippi, everything I can get into that I'm around. I just want to fish. What's your favorite pool on the upper Mississippi? The favorite, my favorite pool on the river? Yeah. I'd say probably, I don't know. I pool five, I guess. That's probably my favorite. I like four, too. Four, five, and five, eh? Bill thinks there's something wrong with you. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I 5A is my favorite, but I haven't spent time on 5. I usually fish 4 or 5A. Yeah, so, they're all good pools. Yeah, I mean, it's um, – would you have a travel plan? Is anybody you plan on traveling with? Are you a, a BRBO guy? Are you going to camp with hotels? What's what's your stat, What's your style on the road? I do VRBOs. You know, I like getting houses. A lot of times they're more – you know, they're more reasonable. You can, you know – if you get another guy to stay with you, it's usually cheaper. You can find them with carports and garages sometime, have full refrigerators, full kitchens. You know, I just, I don't do the hotel thing anymore unless I have to. 
Yeah, and I, I do sleep in my truck some. I've got a nice bed set up in like if I go camp around here, I'll sleep in my truck. But when I go do these bigger ones, I uh I stay at VRBOs. Yeah. Actually my shout out to my co Brian. <clears throat> he had a really nice for the first few nights VRBO with the carport for our boats. And because like Matt was texting me, he's like, Where'd you park? I'm like, uh, under the carport at the house. Yeah, and that's what we uh, looked <laughs> He looked at me and he's like, why didn't we do that? I said, dude, I don't know. I thought we were supposed to stay here. That was because I, when I went down there before, I stayed at a nice VRBO. But, yeah, it, the hotel parking, too, with the boats was a magic show. So, yeah, you're lucky yeah. that you had that. Any advice for a new boat owner docking their boat? Um <laughs> Brad, you don't know how to fish anyways. Gets. Just uh just stay far away and put your talons or your poles down. Yeah, just drive drive right up on the boat ramp and then hit the throttle. Chowder wants to know if you're gonna give any smallie juice on the Sutek chain away. There's not very many in there. I've only caught I've only maybe caught ten in the entire time I fished out there. I mean, they're in there, but it's, I've weighed a few in spring tournaments and you'll see one here and there in the summer, but it's pretty rare. B wants to know what's your go-to lure. I think earlier you said you're a jig guy. I like throwing a jig a lot. Yeah. Big jig, finesse jig, what's, what's the, all what's of them. I mean, I throw a finesse jig a lot. I throw like a three ounce flipping jig. I throw a football jig a ton. Football jig is. You make oh, your own or do you? Got I, I make a lot of my own stuff. Um. I mean, I've been making my own jigs since I was 12. Um, now, I mean, I make – it's hard for me to find a jig with the hook I want. And a lot of the jigs you buy, the weed guard angle is wrong in my opinion. And I like to make skirts a certain way. You know, I'm just really picky about it. I do buy some jigs and I use, you know, I use some Super K swim jigs and I Super K makes a good jig, but I'm just so particular with what I, what I use that I build a lot of them. Bill wants to know any advice for Rice Lake. I've never fished on Rice Lake in my life. Never yep. been on that. I've been around pretty much every lake up there, but Rice Lake I've never been on. All right, so Sean wants to know, do you recommend buying a used glass or aluminum boat? you think it's not good to get a cheaper new boat or a higher-end used boat? Just curious because motors play a big part. I'm a big motor warranty guy. I like to have warranty on my motor. That's, <clears throat> that's the first thing I would look at is, is the outboard because that's where you can dump a lot of money in really quick if there's something wrong with it. But that takes, I mean, kind of depends on where you're at, right? Because it takes a certain amount. You have to be a certain level into the game before you're going to be anywhere near a warranty. As yeah, far that's as like, true. We're talking five, six-year-old boats, right? Or you're not going to yep. touch a warranty. So, no. uh, if, you're not, if you're not going to be spending at least thirty grand, you you're not going to see any warranties on any bass boats. Yeah. Um, I don't think aluminum or glass matters. Um, I think you can get in. You could you could probably get into a better boat slash motor situation cheaper with an aluminum boat. So like finding a used, I don't know, like you know, Crestliner style bass boat with a ninety on it. You're probably more likely to find a five year old one that with some warranty on it 
at a much less price than you're going to find someone that's a glass boat. Um, really depends on your budget. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with aluminum boats unless you're fishing really big water. Mm -hmm. um, so there's benefits to an aluminum boat. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to them. Uh, bait rotation for smallies on the Great Lakes. Have you fished the Great Lakes much? I fish Sturgeon Bay a fair amount. Um, and then uh, Shawam again, I fish some, but one, you know, I've only ever fished down there in the spring, and it's pretty much tube, a jerk bait, a tube, <laughs> you know, a swim bait. Um, I always try to throw, I mean, I'd rather, I like to throw moving baits when I can. I'll throw a swim bait or a jerk bait um, usually first, and then once you find them, then I'll, you know, slow down, drag a tube, drag a Ned rig. Um, I've actually, the biggest smallmouth I ever caught down there was on a crankbait. So, yeah, I like to throw moving stuff, and then once you find them, drag a tube. Yeah. I think you were specifically targeting smallmouth at Pickwick. That was not luck. Yeah, um, I was. So do you have any of your jigs? Chad wants to know. Handy? I Yeah, I, not handy, no, but, I mean, I can run and get them, but if you want me to run 10 feet... I actually tied. I actually tied some up today. Oh sure. Pat wants to know: Are you going to still fish the CWBA? He wants to know if his chances of winning are going up or remaining the same. I don't know. I haven't seen. I don't know. The, the schedules aren't out yet. Are for? I don't know what, what the dates are for the elites. So, and they usually do like a swing. You know, they'll go fish like three down south, and then they're off for a little while, and then they go somewhere else so when i'm back i'm going to be fishing i mean i won't be that's what i'm going to do so uh, i think my normal partner wade is going to fish with my old partner mike mcavoy and i think people are probably going to have more problems with them two fishing together than me and wade fishing together because mike comes out of retirement it's going to be uh it's going to be scary I'll come over and jackpot with you if you need a partner, Pat. Yeah, I, I got plenty of partners. I'll be able to jump in. Whatever. I'll meet you at Pool five is probably like halfway between us. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, go grab a jig. Let's let's. Look. Okay, I'll go see. It's probably. I don't got. I don't think I got the weed guard in it yet because I haven't glued them in yet. Let's give us the anatomy of the perfect jig. Uh, as Pat. But, yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, for those that are new, consider hitting that subscribe button or follow along on the Facebook page. Um, lots more stuff coming. I'll have my Pickwick videos coming up <clears throat> this week and a lot of other stuff. Um, also, if you want to replay any of this and didn't catch it all and you don't want to sit on your computer screen, I will have a podcast version of this up in audio only. So you can look down in the description of the video slash Facebook posts tomorrow, and there will be a link to a podcast audio version if you want to listen to this while you're at the well not at the gym if you live in minnesota anymore but in your car or walking or whatever so there'll be a lot of ways to redigest uh, what we learned from pat and the breakdown um so keep that all right all right late on us so this is what makes a good jig versus a okay jig well so this particular jig i'm actually in negotiations with a company about getting production made on it because I'm kind of 
I don't have the time to tie them like I usually do. So this is this is actually the where's it at? Where's the where's the camera? I'm making I'm making you full screen. So this is a Sparky Arky head on there, um, and then this is a Gamagatsu 294 hook. Up a little bit. There you go. There we go. Right there. Um, four out. This is a three eighths ounce head. And then what I do is I put a screw lock on there for the trailer. I hate super glue. I don't like little wire keepers because you constantly have to adjust them. Um, so I put screw locks on whatever, whenever I can. The only time you can't really use it is if you're using like a Z-Man or a Last Tech, anything right. like that. Um, and then the other thing I do is I hand tie them. So there's no rubber band on there. I I tie an upper layer and a lower layer, and then I can create a lot of different colors that you can't find. And I can be really precise with the strand placement, and I can make it really consistent. Um, and then I can get the exact amount of material in there I want, depending upon how bulky I want it, you know, how fast you want it to fall, how much you want it to flare. There's a lot of variables that, you know, I honestly probably overemphasize a lot of it. It's in my head, but um, this is a jig that, I mean, you can throw it, throw it on rock wood. It skips really, really, really well under docks. And this one doesn't have the weed guard. I haven't glued the weed guard in it yet. I mean, I literally just made these today uh -huh. um, or down on uh, Lay Lake. So that's kind of my, one so, of the ones that I make. All silicone or do you mix, do you mess around with uh, round rubber? Or you know, I've messed around with rubber some, just regular round rubber, natural rubber. I'm not a, I don't, I don't know what, it doesn't do it for me. I, it's, it's fine. I've caught fish Wait, on it. I, rubber, I caught, Rubbers don't do it for you, Pat? Is that what you're They saying? don't, no. <laughs> never really liked them so um i do tie some you know old school round rubber in round ball jig finesse jigs right i do throw them in that uh but like my regular jigs i i, I don't so maybe i if i did maybe i could catch more fish um, so do, is there a specific angle that you target with your weed guard or a certain like bristle count or what's your, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I buy my weed guards from fishingskirts.com. They have like a welded hub on there where it, it goes in a lot nicer. It's a lot more clean. And then the angle of the weed guard is critical. And that's one thing that I don't like about a lot of other jigs is a, they're inconsistent and B a lot of times it's just too steep of an angle. You know, I wish I had a weed guard in it, but when you, that weed guard comes off there, you know, you want it to lay, you know, where the hook is. That's hard to explain, but you don't want that weed guard too straight up because it doesn't come through the cover as good. It doesn't swim right. And you think about when a fish eats it, you know, you want that weed guard to be more at an angle so when the fish eats it, it'll collapse down and get to the hook. When it's real exactly. straight up and down. And rolling it away from him, right? Like, yeah, that's what'll happen is they'll end up going like this to bite it and it'll push it away or they'll, they just won't be able to get that weed guard to collapse. Same thing, a lot of jigs that you get will have a really stiff weed guard, um, which is fine. You just have to learn how to trim them and know what stiffness you need it at. And I don't know exactly how many strands. I just kind of trim it down to 
what I feel like is, you know, what it should be. And a lot of times, you know, I'm always, I'm on the side of a, a lot softer weed guard, unless I'm pitching really heavy cover or it's super thick weeds where you need that. Um, I think people, you know, are so worried about getting snagged that they overlook that. And then they miss fish because that weed guard's too stiff. So do you control your weed guard angle based on just how you glue it in or do you modify? You got to drill it. So I, I'll, I'll pour all my jigs with, uh, you know, like a pin in there. So it just basically creates the eighth inch cavity for the weed guard. And uh -huh. then I paint it and I bake it. And then before I tie my skirts on, I'll drill it out. And when you, you know, it's an eighth inch drill bit. And then when you drill that out with, you know, the power drill, you can set that at the angle you want. You know, you can you can modify it a little bit with the angle of that drill bit. And then I use a, you know, a gel super glue to glue the weed guard in. And that's the last step after you have it tied. Um, you glue the weed guard in. And once again, when you use the right glue, you can manipulate that angle a little bit to get it right. And you can't use too much glue either. That's part of the other reason I use a welded hub weed guard is with the regular weed guards, that glue will soak up into that weed guard. And you'll see it. You'll start to notice this stuff when you buy jigs in the store now. That glue will soak up into that weed guard. And like the first, sometimes three eighths of an inch of that weed guard will just be covered in glue and it doesn't flex at all. Makes so sense. it's just too stiff. So you know, that's all stuff that I've just learned from making jigs and selling jigs and, you know, just knowing a lot about how jigs are made, especially when they're mass produced. Um, it's just a lot of little things that make a big difference when you're talking about hooking and landing fish in a tournament. And a jig generally is a very high percentage lure for catching fish or landing them once you hook them. But little modifications make a huge huge difference and that's why i make most of my stuff yeah do you do you fan do you split your weed guards do you do anything with um, i don't do that i just make sure i got a good quality soft weed guard i you know i you can i guess but i i don't i just run a generally lighter weed guard and what i will do a lot of times with a jig is i'll 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 take a pliers and I'll I'll clamp it on the on the bend of the hook and I'll bend that hook point angle up maybe like three degrees, just so that hook point is actually sticking up a little bit more. So when that fish bites it, it'll start to dig into the back of their mouth earlier. Now if you start to notice you're hooking a lot of fish on a jig out towards the very end of their lip, if you just take your pliers and bend that angle up three degrees where you hardly even can notice it when you look at it with your naked eye, you'll notice you'll start hooking them back deeper in the roof of the mouth. It makes a huge difference. I learned that from Bill Dance. There's some juice, folks. <clears throat> um, so how long is the process for your jig start? I mean, obviously you do them in batches, but like what's too long. It's and once again, I'm super picky about it, but I mean, I go out, I start with a hook and lead I melt the lead or the jig especially when you start dealing with these screw locks, they're not easy to, to deal with. You know, they don't pour very nice. You I mean, you got to modify the molds and then you got to, it, it sucks doing it. I mean, today I was so frustrated. Um, that's why I'm getting, I'm hopefully this, this company, I, you know, it's a buddy of mine who owns it. 
um, I'm really hoping we can get it figured out. So and I don't even care about money. or I just want to have, I want to know when I get a jig from them that it's right. right. Because I'm not going to have a lot of time to, to do what I usually do. And, and, and I, and I want to sell these to people because they're a freaking good jig. I mean, they're good. They're going to sell because it's quality. And I put a lot of time into designing them and they work. So um, doing it myself between hand tying the skirts Painting them, baking them. I mean, I don't even, I don't know how long into one jig, but it's, it's longer than a couple hours per batch for sure. Oh yeah. Because what I'll do typically today, I only poured, you know, 15 of them because I just don't have the time to do a huge batch, but usually I'll be like, okay, I'm going to pour a hundred of this head and I'll pour them and I'll paint them. You know, a lot of mine, I glue eyes on them. I'll get all that done. So then when I need to go tie, tie stuff. I just be like, okay, I need six black and blue ones and I'll tie them and then I'll be good. You know, the pour and the, le- I like tying the skirts. I enjoy doing that because it's just, it's fun to create new stuff. Um, I hate working with the lead and paint, powder painting it. And I don't like doing that. Yeah. Um, horizontal or vertical line tie? I didn't see that. That is a vertical. I do use cross eyes on some stuff. Um, this particular jig, I'm experimenting with a new owner hook that's out. Um, that's got the cross eye. My football jigs are pretty much all cross tie, you know, cross eyes. Um, but I don't. I I don't know. I know there's a big theory on that. The straight eye popping their mouth open, but I've never. I don't know. Yeah, Sean. He's saying opening the gap. Yeah, you're opening it a slight. Oh. Yeah, I'm just he's clarifying on that. Um, and then, yeah, it's a, you got to customize your mold. I don't know if there's any mold. Well, there's probably is some molds at screw lock, but I'm sure for the hook that you're using, it's all customized. Yeah, pretty much the screw lock stuff you'll see will be on like swim bait hooks. Um, that's about it. I mean, like this mold, yeah, that was a lot of just messing around with Dremel tools to get it to fill in the way I wanted it. Do you plan to get yourself a real nice ham plate when you're in Texas for the classic? Oh, I hope so. They got good ham plates down there. Smithfield ham generally. <laughs> nice. Oh, so I, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we, we went over 80 and I think that's what Kate had. So I think you've, you accomplished another goal tonight. And we, Take that Cade. Yeah. Right in your, right in your yeah. regional Phoenix winning face. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> Uh, favorite winter technique I don't know drinking beer I don't know I like a grub worm on a noodle rod for perch it's my favorite nice alright so I think we've been almost 90 minutes so we're going to last call for questions anybody that's got anything that they uh, they want to ask let's get them in we won't, we won't keep Pat up all night because he's probably got a busy day of answering phone calls tomorrow interviews so yeah i don't have any tomorrow i don't think i do have a big one on whitehall oldies radio um on tuesday at 8 30 if you want to tune into that yeah is that the local eau claire station there white it's down whitehall a little south of here yeah they play the oldies is that anywhere does is moose country still a thing is that still there i don't know i when i was in manali if i drove 
I could get Moose Country 106. That was my favorite old country station when I was in college. Yeah, I, the last time I listened to country music was probably in 2000, 2001 in a field party in high school. Thanks. Just a kid. Uh, so what's your electronics? Like what uh, you uh... – I mainly run Humminbird. I've got three Helix 12s are my main units. I do have a Garmin that I'll use for live scope some, but it's mainly Humminbird. I've got, you know, 360 and all my side imaging is all uh, Humminbird. Nice. No no live scope? No yeah, I got live scope. Okay. Oh, yeah. You got, so you got 360 and live scope? Well, yeah. I, I, I have it. I have a Humminbird 958 on the front of my boat. It's a good one. You got 360 on it? You can't run Humminbird uh, 360 on the 958. <laughs> I know. Here's my here's my front depth finder right here. I don't I can't see it. I'm on full screen. Oh, that's right. Ah, oh, man, I forgot about that. I just here's my front depth finder. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the little little dipper. It's Bill's rod, so you can just stick it in the. Yeah. <laughs> um. What's your jig rod setup? I guess we talked a lot about jigs. What do you like for a jig? Oh rod? boy, I don't know how much time you got. It depends a lot on the jig. How much time you got? I, I'm here. I don't. Time. I you know I'm pretty open these days. If I, my I'll throw like a football jig, a pitching jig. A lot I throw on a G Loomis NRX eight seventy three, which is a seven foot three inch um, three power. So it's a medium heavy, but it's really like a. I would call it more of a heavy medium heavy it's kind of in between uh-huh. um it's got a good backbone i throw that for like a five ace in a three quarter ounce football jig and i'll throw a three ace and a half and like an 11 16th ounce flipping jig on it and then i throw a quarter ounce a lot also and then i'll throw uh nrx 853 which is a seven one medium heavy but it's a lot softer um, and that lighter one I'll throw on 16 pound Sunline shooter, Tatula SB, uh, seven, three to one gear ratio. Um, same reel on the, on the heavier one, um, just with 20 pound shooter. And then I, I'll throw it on braid a lot too. When I throw it on braid, I throw it on that seven, six medium, heavy, moderate, fast, uh, legend extreme with 60 pound FX two braid. So, um, those are the main ones that I use. I heard 20 pound fluoro and jigs. We could hang out. I feel like we could be buddies. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh, do you, what are your thoughts on scent? You like scent, believe it, use it at all. You know, I don't think I, I do have bang in the boat, uh, craw and shad. I'm being a hundred percent honest. I don't think I used it one time this year. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I like like Burke, like power bait and, sure. you know, max scent. I, I like for smallmouth. I think that's definitely a factor, but sure. um, I don't, I'm not out there um, spraying in every other cast. Like some people are. Jamie wants to know when you have a beer at the farm tomorrow. I don't know what time I'm going to be up there. I don't want the COVID. Um, excited about the Mega Live release. I don't know. 
I mean, I don't know very much about it. I've just seen the little blurbs and um, I'll buy it and try it. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows anything about it right now. I don't know what the angle is on it. I, I, I just, are, they, are you going to be able to be three angles and one transducer? Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know, but I don't know how tight the beam is. And, uh, I don't know. Are you actually gonna be able to get it? I mean, they're pre-ordering it in March, but is it going to be like a mega three sixty where it's a ghost for two years? You hear about it and you never see it. You so know? you won't be selling your live scope anytime soon. Is what you're saying? No, I mean, I'm going to keep it. I'll buy this hummingbird one. I mean, it ain't going to hurt to have it and try it, but if I can get one and if but whichever that, one. That uh, Mercer is already thinking about how he wants to call your name on Sage because he likes the sound of it. So there you go. I'm sure he'll mispronounce it like most other people, but that's fine. As long as I'm bringing him fish to weigh, that's all I care. You want to correct people so they know? It's but, schlopper. Schlopper, not, not schlapper. Schlop. Okay. I, I yeah. learned tonight beyond fishing yep uh mr schlopper uh let's see scrapping pat on your next jersey yeah that's the name i can get behind that must be colin favorite jeep trailer for mr howland oh boy that once again i use a lot of uh pack of chunks i like them a lot um, I like some rage stuff, um, you know, like a rate, a baby rage craw. I like a menace a lot. Swim jig. I throw a menace pretty much exclusively. Um, love me some menace. Yeah, it's a good lure. And then I like, uh, just the old school super chunk junior or super chunk from zoom. Those are the main ones that I throw. Do you throw, why do you determine length of your Carolina rig? I just kind of cut a piece off I think looks right and tie my hook on, I guess. Two and a half, three-footer. Uh, so why the NRX instead of the Legend Extreme, Sean wants to know? Uh, you know, I it when I buy a rod, and this is once again a luxury of working where I've worked and being able to handle every rod I want. Um, when I buy a rod, it's just usually for a spe one specific thing. So, and I've got 30 St. Croix, 30 Loomis's there to me, they're the, and Dobbins are good too. They're very good rods. But to me, those are three of the top brands out there. And when I buy a rod, it's for a specific thing. And Loomis is better for some things and St. Croix is better for some things. Now there's a good chance I'll be fishing St. Croix exclusively here pretty quick. Um, and I'm fine with that because they've got, you know, a lot of great stuff. I, I mean, I've been buying their stuff since I was 12, but in the last few years, it's just, I've just grown to like a Loomis for one thing and St. Croix for other things. Nice. So you think you and, you and, you and, you and Big Bass Bob will be throwing the same rods next year, huh? I don't know for sure. I had a very good conversation with them. Um, and I want, I want to get with as many Wisconsin companies as I can. Sure. Um, so, and St. Croix, I, honestly, in all the years of work in retail, like I have one of the, probably the best company to deal with for that. I mean, they're, they're very, they're awesome for customer service and 
dealing with people at the dealership level. So I hope it, I hope that works out. I'd be very excited to work, work with St. Croix. Nice. B says, what, what do you, what do you look for a new body of water when you first get there? Like what's depends on the time of year. You know what I, I usually like to, I'll do some research ahead of time and try to figure out what type of fishery it is. What, you know, is there smallmouth? Is there largemouth? Is there a river? Is it clear water? And then I'll try to base a lot of my decisions on familiar water. So if I get down to, you know, like what I did on Pickwick, I, you know, drew a lot of similarities to the Mississippi. So then I'll start, you know, okay, what would I do there and try that and go to the areas you would go if you were on a lake that's familiar back home. And that's where I'd start. Now, it doesn't always work out. I did that on Cherokee for two days and three days, and I, I didn't hardly catch anything. But that's how I usually start, right. um, trying to do, you know, fish the way that I like to fish back home. And a lot of times it does work. I mean, you, you, get, you get comfortable with something. You can, you can make it work on a lot of different bodies of water. Yeah. Colin says he'll take your NRXs. If you're- yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, think, I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> a lot of people are already fighting over them nice cool well i think we answered everybody's questions i appreciate you coming on pat um it's good to get to know you a little more uh we've probably spent more time talking tonight than we have uh <laughs> yeah we got a big talker at tournaments and i was like oh, i don't know if i want to talk to him he just just beat me like we were both getting ready to head home and i was just like <laughs> oh yeah yeah i remember that. I don't know yeah. i'm like i don't even like i, I don't even I'm pretty intimidating. <laughs> I was just in a bad mood. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? You made it. You should have been did, happy. Uh, like, I had 14 pounds in like the first 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> I thought like that would have been yeah. an opportunity. I just couldn't ever get a big bite the rest of the day. So, but yeah. you want more, right? Like, if you're not first, you always want more. So, yeah. And if you don't yeah. want more, you're in the wrong game. So, mm-hmm. uh, cool all right well thanks everybody uh make sure you like subscribe comment like i mentioned before there'll be an audio version of this and a podcast i'll put down in the comments in the description and uh any any parting words pat i just thanks for watching thanks for all the support um you know when you start doing stuff like this you know you start getting all the messages from people and i love it i mean it's makes me feel good and to know that people are out there supporting me it it really it really does mean a lot to me so um just thanks a lot and hopefully you continue following along with with my journey and hopefully i can make make some of you guys proud from from up here that i fished against forever and you know hopefully hopefully make you guys proud yeah i agree 100 like there's there's a lot of messages at vermilion a lot of messages the first couple days at uh pickwick which was awesome um, and even the messages that were like, man, two out, like the people that saw that I missed the cut and like, they just like, you know, like, so it means a lot. It helps you, you know, it helps, it makes the good times better and it helps you like you know, kind of ride out some of those rough things. So it does, yeah, you know, it does. appreciate it. And I'm sure you appreciate it. Um, so cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, hope you, uh, learned some things tonight and as always here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs> It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, 
It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.